Welcome to the North Sound Church Podcast. For more information about North Sound Church, please visit our website at northsoundchurch.com. Now here's Pastor Barry. Well, friends, welcome once again to North Sound uh, and to some time around God's Word together this Sunday. It was our privilege this past week to uh, make some donations in your name, in the name of North Sound Church, uh, to some folks in our community. And we have a picture of Dave Teitzel, who is engaged along with Judy Salinas and uh, Barb Crane with the Edmonds Food Bank, uh, making a significant donation Uh, on behalf of North Sound Church. We wanted to do something for pandemic relief and so we've given them uh, a donation. We're also supporting the Westgate Chapel Food Bank. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, we gave to the Foundation for Edmonds School District um, so that children uh, in our community uh, could have some of the resources that they need uh, during this time. So thank you for your faithful giving that allowed us to make a difference in the community in this way. And then I uh, want to mention to you that yesterday we had a service here at North Sound Church for John Vickland. Many of you know John. He passed away, went to be with the Lord last summer. Uh, But because of the COVID situation, we weren't able to do a service until recently. We anticipate um, that there will be a recording of that that will be available. You're welcome to check with the church office or with Shirley uh, for information about that. Uh, And then I just want to remind you that this is the Lenten season at North Sound Church. It began Wednesday evening uh, with our Ash Wednesday service. And it continues for 40 days through until Holy Saturday, just before Easter, and we, uh, we encourage the North Sound family to engage in the practices of Lent for the purposes of spiritual growth, for growing closer to the Lord. And that involves taking something out of our lives. We call it a fast, and it could be food, or it could be television, it could be any number of things to make some space for the Lord. And then also to add something. And you may add a spiritual practice on your own, but in order to help you, um, we've created a list of resources at the North Sound website, and so we encourage you to take something away and add something to your life during this season. And so today for Lent, we begin a new series of talks called Crossroads. And I kind of like that title because what it describes for us is some people that were at the cross where the cross of our Lord became a crossroads for their lives and was an opportunity for them to change direction. And today we're going to look at that first group of folks, which was the soldiers who signified in their Uh, encounter with the cross that feeling of wonder with the divine encounter that they experienced. The cross is the big story. It is the fulfillment of God's big story that goes back to creation, to Genesis chapter 1, to God's intention for us all. And it continues with Genesis chapter 3 and the fall and the brokenness that came into the world and it continues on with God's divine rescue mission in Jesus Christ. I came across a, a very brief video, it's like two minutes long, that describes this big story and the impact of the cross in the lives of those who choose to follow Jesus. Let's watch it together. So we live in this world and it's characterized by brokenness. We don't have to look very hard to see. There are things like disease, disasters, wars. There's a lot of pain in this world, but this is not God's original design. 
God has a perfect design. And the way that we have gotten ourselves into brokenness is through something that the Bible calls sin. Sin is turning away from God's design and pursuing our own way. And that leads us to brokenness. Brokenness eventually leads us to death. And this death will separate us from God forever. But God doesn't want us to stay in brokenness. So he's made a way out. And that way is Jesus. Jesus comes and he enters into our brokenness. And the death that we deserve for pursuing brokenness, Jesus takes our place and dies on a cross. And his body is broken for us. And three days after he dies, he rose from the dead and he made a way out of brokenness. And people try many things to get out of brokenness. Things like religion, things like success or relationships, education or drugs and alcohol. But none of these things can get us out of brokenness. The only way out is Jesus. And if we turn from our sin and believe that Jesus died for us and rose from the dead, we can leave brokenness and grow in a relationship with God and pursue his design. And more than that, we can go. We can be sent just like Jesus back into brokenness to help others come through him to pursue God's design. Now, there's two types of people in the world. There are people that are pursuing God's design and there's people that are still in brokenness. We have to ask ourselves, where are we? So where do you think you are? Friends, this video is a great way to present the gospel in two minutes. It's something that you might want to replay and consider as a, as a means of sharing your faith with others, of sharing that story with others. God mends in the cross the brokenness of the world. I like the way Tom Wright puts it. He says this in explaining the meaning of the cross. He said, the meaning of the story is found in every detail as well as the broad narrative. The pain and the tears of all the years were met together on Calvary. The sorrow of heaven joined the anguish of earth. The forgiving, stored up future in God's love was poured out into the present and the voices that echo in a million human hearts crying for justice, longing for spirituality, eager for relationship, yearning for beauty, drew themselves together into a final scream of desolation. Nothing in all the history of paganism comes anywhere near this combination of event, intention, and meaning. Nothing in Judaism had prepared for it except in puzzling shadowy prophecy. The death of Jesus of Nazareth as the king of the Jews the bearer of Israel's destiny, the fulfillment of God's promises to his people of old, is either the most stupid, senseless waste and misunderstanding the world has ever seen, or it is the fulcrum around which world history turns. And Christianity is based on the belief that it was the latter. So, why do we believe this? Why do we believe in the cross? Why do we believe in the story of God's rescue mission? Well, we believe it because there is so much historical evidence. We have the, the, the writing of the eyewitnesses, of course, in the New Testament and the, 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 the numerous texts um, that have been written that, that affirm the, the authority and the authenticity and the inspiration of Scripture that point to Jesus dying on the cross for our sins.
And then we also have the existence of the church itself. First of all, as uh, Rodney Stark, the sociologist of religion points out that, that uh, the church began so very, very small there at the cross, but it grew and it grew so that by about AD 300, it could very well be that about half the population of the Roman Empire were already followers of Jesus Christ. And now some 2,000 years later, uh, in a world of about six billion people, something over two billion are followers of Jesus Christ. The very existence of the church itself points to the fact that something must have happened back there in order for this to be a reality today. And so we've looked at the macro view, this 35,000 foot view of the cross and what it meant, but now in this series, we're gonna come down and we're going to look at the lives of specific individuals, and in this case, the soldiers that Jesus had encountered. Let's look first at Matthew chapter 27 where we see the, the soldiers and their engagement around the cross. Verse 27 of Matthew 27 says, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, hail king of the Jews. Then they spit on him and they took the reed and struck him on the head and when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put on his own clothes back on him and led him away to crucify him. Friends, in this particular passage, we see that the soldiers mocked what was actually true. And before we're too hard on them though, we need to think a little bit about the life of the Roman soldier. Probably 40, 50 years ago, there was an amazing discovery in the northern part of England near what we know today as, uh, as Hadrian's Wall. It was the, the wall that was built around uh, AD 120 by the Roman Emperor Hadrian. And it was to keep the, the, the Picts and the Scots out from the invading the, the, the part of England that Rome had conquered. And uh, there was an archeologist who was doing some work on what they had discovered was something of a garbage heap from the first century Roman occupation of England. And as he sorted through stuff, he, he came across stuff that initially didn't seem like it was very interesting. It was about postcard-sized pieces of wood. There was, there was um, some oak uh, and there was some, some alder there. And, and uh, in, in going over these, he was about to dismiss them when he noticed that there was some writing on them. And then as he began to look further, he discovered there were 1,000 of these cards that in fact were correspondence between Roman officers and family back home in Gaul, modern day France, where most of these Roman soldiers had come from that were now occupying uh, the north of England. And what was interesting was how they, they were so very personable in these things. They talked about the cold and how they hated the cold there in the north of England. They talked about their fear of the onslaught of the Picts that would come after them and the, the battles that were so very difficult. And uh, most of all, they, they talked um, about the very interesting things of their lives. In fact, some humorous things. Um, one of them that was particularly caught my attention uh, 
was the one that was written in Latin this way. Again, the Roman officers, would have, uh, would have, that would have been the language that they used. Now, you see if you can recognize the Latin to hear, this is a request to send something to this particular Roman officer. He says, paria udanum absutua soliarium duo e sublegariorium duo. Anybody know what that means? So here's what he asked for. Socks, two pairs of sandals, and two pairs of underpants. Now, a while back when the Iraq war happened, and as a reservist, I thought I might be getting called up to go, one of the things that we were asked to do was to have what we call a sea bag ready. So we were asked to have one of those duffel bags that you've seen uh, and, uh, and have our gear ready to go. And so I was looking over the list and I found that things haven't changed too much in 2000 years because on the list was having five pairs of underwear shirts, t-shirts, and five pairs of, uh, of underwear. As I say, things have not changed a great deal. For the Roman soldier, life was very difficult. They served a long ways from home. They were not allowed to marry and good underwear, as we've discovered, was a luxury. Our son Ryan graduated from the University of Washington in 2010 and when we went to his graduation at Husky Stadium, we discovered Robert Gates was the guest speaker for that particular commencement address. And uh, Robert Gates, some of you may know, is from Washington State, in fact now in retirement, he has a home up near Mount Vernon. He spoke so well that day and uh, there was a, a Time Magazine article about him that I read with interest and the article was talking about how uh, at the height of the Iraq surge, Gates gave a speech to the Marine Corps Association and it was, uh, he introduced the speech with a story about President Nixon's Secretary of Defense, Mel Laird, on a trip to see the Pope. And, and as the story goes, the, uh, the, the, the two uh, of these representatives, plus the entourage of Americans that were with them, included Secretary of Defense Mel Laird and Henry Kissinger. And just before they were gonna go in to see the Pope, um, Mel Laird was smoking a cigar and Henry Kissinger said, hey man, you better put that out before we go in to see the Pope. So now they go inside to see the Pope and, uh, and Henry looks over at Mel Laird, um, who's now beginning to pat his pocket like this. And uh, he looks and there's smoke coming out of Mel Laird's pocket. Apparently he didn't get the cigar out before he put it in his pocket. Now, what made things worse that while Mel Laird was patting his pocket to get it out, the Americans that were a part of the entourage thought he was signaling them to clap. And so in the middle of the Pope's speech with the Secretary of Defense banging his pocket, the rest of the Americans proceeded to clap. Uh, we, uh, they, Gates said, uh, or excuse me, Henry later said, God only knows what His Holiness thought, seeing the American Secretary of Defense immolating himself and the entire American party applauding the fact well, needless to say, the, the house laughed at that. They, they kind of fell apart at that amazing story. But he went on to tell a much more serious story of Marine Major Douglas Zembiak. He had been dubbed the Lion of Fallujah. You may recall that name uh, from the, the height of the war in Iraq. 
And as he went on to talk about Zembiak, Gates stumbled on his words and could barely finish as he announced the death of, uh, of Major Douglas Zembiak. He had only been Secretary of Defense for seven months and they were the bloodiest months of the war and by the time he told of the death of Zembiak, he and the others in the room were in tears. Now the, the person that was uh, the author of this particular article for Time said that he talked to Gates about that night and Gates told him it wasn't a singular event, that in fact um, he was speaking to the cadets uh, at the US Military Academy at West Point. And he said this to the cadets, he said that he had a very clear sense of personal responsibility for them. He said, one of the reasons I've stayed on as the Secretary of Defense at that time was that I worry that the one who comes after me won't care about the soldiers as I do, that they won't do the MRAPs, that is the armoring of the Humvees and may not be willing to spend $30 billion, to, he says, to save our kids' lives and limbs. And that's very emotional and in this, in this article and in the way he lived out his role as Secretary of Defense, Robert Gates obviously cared about our soldiers, our sailors, our Marines, our Coasties, our airmen. But the interesting thing in our passage is that we see that Jesus also cared about Roman soldiers. This was not at the cross, uh, this mocking was not his first encounter with them. Do you remember the occasion when the centurion came to Jesus asking for the healing of his servant? We read this in Matthew chapter 8. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, uh, and he said uh, to the centurion, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. He said, for I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness in that place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed from that very moment. Jesus saw in a Roman soldier the kind of faith that he commended to the Jewish people. Friends, the soldiers here were not bit players in a Bible pageant. They were flesh and blood young men who no doubt saw a little fun with Jesus as a diversion from a very difficult life. But they couldn't count on what was about to happen. You see, Jesus carried the cross to Golgotha, the place of the skull, and it was there that he was crucified. A number of years ago, the Journal of the American Medical Association, JAMA, did an article on the physiology of how Jesus died on the cross, and, 
and it was cruel and it was very difficult because you see when someone is hung on a cross they they are positioned in such a way that they can't breathe that fluid begins to fill their lungs and so in order to take a breath they have to push themselves up and in pushing themselves up they're pushing against the nails that have pierced their feet and it is so very painful and very difficult and the Roman soldiers would have watched this take place. Matthew describes it this way. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and saw what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly this is the Son of God. Now notice the supernatural events that took place. It got dark even though it was daytime. There was an earthquake that shook the ground and now we come back to these hardened soldiers that not long before were mocking Jesus and now their hearts were changed by the truth. The centurion doesn't mock anymore. He says truly this was the Son of God. They believed even though they did not see the most amazing consequence that we read about here and that is that At the moment of Jesus' death, the veil in the temple was torn in two. Now that was the veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple and only the priests were able to go in behind the Holy of Holies for sacrifice. And and when the veil was split, it was so profound theologically because it suggested that now the way to fellowship with the Father has been opened. We no longer need the sacrifices of the priests for the forgiveness of our sins that in fact on the cross, Jesus became the means by which our sins are forgiven and now we have direct access to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. Now, all of this is not because we're good, but because of God's grace. That wonderful verse over the last few weeks, I think I've quoted it many times, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And friends, we are saved through what happened on the cross that day. The soldiers may not have understood this perfectly, but they saw enough to move them from mocking to worship. So friends, how do we respond to the cross? Is it a crossroads for us? Do we mock or do we ignore or do we believe? This is either the most senseless waste of human life or it's the center point of history. And there's another question, and that is, do we allow ourselves not only to just believe, but are we able to move beyond belief to betting our life on the truth of this story? Do we become agents of the kingdom of God? Do we commit to a purpose bigger than our own lives? We know from history that much of the spread of the gospel came from Roman soldiers who discovered the good news of Jesus Christ and in their deployments around the known world took the gospel of Jesus Christ with them where they went. They became agents of the kingdom of God. 
we saw at the end of the video that we began with in the early part of the service that it isn't just enough to understand the, the macro version uh, of God's story, of the big story, but we need to apply it to our lives. But part of that application isn't just to, to make the commitment to say, yes, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins, but it's to become a part of that story and to carry that story forward. Tom Wright says, Jesus wrote the music for the kingdom and now that music needs to be performed. He says, if it is the case that Israel's vocation was to be the people through whom the one God would rescue his beloved creation, if it is the case that Jesus believed himself as God's Messiah to be bearing Israel's vocation in himself, and if it really is true that in going to his death he took upon himself and in some sense exhausted the full weight of the world's evil, then clearly there is indeed a task waiting to be done. He says the music he wrote must now be performed. The early disciples saw this and got on with it. When Jesus emerged from the tomb, justice, spirituality, relationship, and beauty rose with him. Something has happened in and through Jesus as a result of which the world is a different place, a place where heaven and earth have been joined forever. God's future has arrived in the present instead of mere echoes. We hear the voice itself, a voice which speaks of rescue from evil and death and hence a new creation. And so, friends, as those who have received the blessing of God, just like those soldiers who gathered below the cross, we are invited to fulfill our purpose by joining in God's kingdom venture. Some of you, if you're my age, you remember the miracle on ice that happened in 1980 at Lake Placid and the Olympics. And much against the odds, the young collegians from the United States beat the team from Russia, the, that time the Soviet team, USSR, in hockey, the, the, the sport at which the Russians had excelled so well. But in the miracle on ice, the American team beat the Russians and then went on to beat Finland for the gold medal in hockey in that year. The coach of the U.S. hockey team before his team's victory, said this to the team. He said, you are born to be a player. You are meant to be there at this time. This is your moment. And friends, this is our calling as well. We were born for the kingdom, and this is our moment. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you this morning for the wonder of the cross, we thank you, Lord, that this season, this season of Lent, is a time of 40 days in which we can recognize the wonder of the cross, the challenges of the sin in our life, and the fact that you have done something about our sin. You have become the means by which our sins are forgiven. But I pray, Lord, that like the soldiers, we won't just be content with the wonder of our own salvation, that, Lord, you would speak into our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit to transform our lives and make us powerful agents for your kingdom. In this moment, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Friends, let me remind you to enter into the disciplines of Lent, to take something out of your life, to add something to it, uh, to check out the website and the ways that you can engage in making this time, Lent of 2021, a very important time of spiritual growth in your life. Now let's be dismissed with God's blessing. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us this day and forevermore. Amen.